0: church. Good Welcome to worship. We've already had a tremendous time praising the Lord and Seeking his face, and that continues as we open his word. Would you take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. So whether it looks something like this, or whether it's one of those digital devices in your hand, take it out or turn it on to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 27 in just a few minutes. We've been looking at the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever, and his name is the name we've been singing all morning. His name is Jesus We're in the fifth week and Jesus has already given us so much. We started with the life changing truths of the Beatitudes. They give life to our soul. They remind us of the way, the path of the follower of Christ. Then we continued with the challenge to be the salt and light, to be difference makers where we live and where we work and where we play. And then we began to navigate the tension between the law of the Old Testament and the grace embodied in Jesus. And we saw that Jesus has a high standard of scripture. Last week we learned the truth that healthy emotions and emotional responses lead to healthy relationships. And in fact, I gave you nine words that need to be introduced into your vocabulary. I want to say them together with you again, all right? Let's say them together. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Now I caught you off guard, so let's say those together again, okay? I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Now, how many of you have had to use those words in the last week? Let me see your hands. Give you a minute to let them slip up. Of course, you did, because we're sinners. We blow it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like when I dive into a passage like this, the enemy takes notice. And so this week I felt those passions raging within me that we talked about in James chapter four. And I probably had to say those words a few too many times myself. So there you go. We also learned as we walked through scripture the importance of memorizing God's word. How did you do on that one? We start by saying the reference, let's say it together, Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is one of the most important verses that you can remember in your life. I think it's so beneficial to every Christ follower. In fact, there's a phrase that I say to you often, and it kind of comes from this, I've said it hundreds and hundreds of times in the last dozen years to this church family. Here it is. Christ followers never have the liberty to what? To be unkind. And that comes straight out of this passage. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so I hope you're taking God's word, that you're hiding it in your heart, and you're growing in your relationship with him. Today, we look at another of the six antithesis that we find of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. They're called antithesis because Jesus is going to say something like this. You've always thought, or you've heard it said, or it was written, and then he's going to tell us something that every follower of God knows. Most of these are coming from the Ten Commandments, the big ten. And then he says, but I say to you, in other words, I want you to think about this differently. I want to take it to another level. I want to raise the standard because that's what Jesus does. He, he shows us what the Christ life is supposed to look like. That's what this whole sermon Three chapters in the book of Matthew, the most famous sermon ever preached, that's what it's about. How do you live the Christ life? How do you walk the way of Jesus? So we're going to dive in, just look at a few verses. I'm going to cover you with scripture today, because here's the reality. My words, man, sometimes they're all right, sometimes I really blow it, because I'm a sinner. I need God's grace but God's word is perfect, it's always true. So a lot of the illustration I'm gonna to give to you today, I'm just gonna read the scripture. So if you don't like it, don't take it up with me, take it up with him, all right? And you need to know that, because this is kind of a head-on, hard-hitting, high-speed message. It's head-on because the issues we're gonna deal with, they impact us head-on. It's high-speed because life is coming at us, and I feel like sometimes we just dodge to get out of the way. It's hard-hitting, Because for some of us, this is going to hurt a little bit. We're dealing with words that Jesus used like adultery and lust. So as I pray, just a reminder, man, we're always going to confront things biblically. We're never going to hide from the things that God's word talks about. But if you're a parent, this is probably going to lead to more discussion there in your home, which is kind of what you signed up for. That's your job. And we're here to help you with that along the way. Okay, let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for this time. God, I thank you that your word is perfect and true. So as we read it, give us ears to hear. Lord, place into our hearts and minds those things we need that we don't have. Teach us afresh and anew today. Make us different. God, as I prayed privately, I ask again, would you allow your spirit to be upon my words? And Lord, I pray that uh, the words I say and even my thoughts would be pleasing to you. Father, I know that, um, man, this world is full of distractions. So as we tackle an issue that is eating away at the fiber of our society, it's, it's causing all kind of havoc in your church, Lord, I pray that you would free us from the distractions of life for these few minutes and we might hear from you. And as a result, Lord, that you might break chains, that you might restore relationships, that you might save lives today. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, that wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to pick up reading here in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And just like we said last week, the Pharisees who gathered there listening to Rabbi Jesus, I mean, this was an amen moment. Because like most of them had not committed murder, most of them were not guilty of adultery. So you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Amen! But then Jesus does what he always does. And you need to understand this because some of you have never recognized this truth. Jesus always raises the standard. Some of you, or you're like me, I I grew up in the Bible Belt, and a lot of people I knew had some familiarity with church, and if you have some familiarity with church, it's not uncommon to say something like this, well, you know, I I believe the Bible, but I kind of live under God's grace. We're in the age of grace. Jesus gives me grace, and, and that's true. Jesus is a God of grace, but he just told us, hey... Don't be confused, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. So we live in this tension of law and grace, and in his grace, Jesus never lowered the standard. He never says, hey, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I'm gonna say it's not always a big deal to murder. He didn't do that. He always raises a standard. You've heard it said, it's not okay to murder, you're right. I'm telling you, stop being angry and calling people names. Because in your heart you're committing murder. You've heard it said you should not commit adultery. You're right. But then he says, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Wow, what are you talking about, Jesus? Yeah, that's kind of crazy. You think that's crazy, he says. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gorge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. What in the world? Jesus is not only raging the standard, he's calling for extreme measures. He begins by referring to these two of the 10 commandments. And I think it's not a Coincidence. I, I look at the church today, and I just remind you, if you're getting to know me, I, I've been at this for about 30 years, but I grew up in church. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that kind of makes me feel handicapped. But I, I've been around people like us who gather in a church occasionally all of my life. And I think if you look at the, the two biggest challenges in the church today, it probably relates to these two issues that Jesus is dealing with. Because I know a lot of church... T- people that are eat up with unforgiveness. They've got unhealthy relationships because unresolved anger in their life. And I know a lot of church people that are dealing with this issue of of lust and some area of sexual immorality in their lives. So Jesus begins to talk about this, the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And I want you just to think for a second. How would our world today be different if nobody would have ever broken the seventh commandment? How would your life be different? And just think about that. I mean, barring tragedy, which there would be tragedy because we live in a sinful world, but barring tragedy, no fatherless children. There would be no human trafficking. There would be no divorce. And think about how just us, just we who are gathered here, how life would be different if this command had been followed. After referring to the seventh commandment, Jesus changes the standard. He says, you've been focusing on the external, though. I I want to remind you that I'm looking internally. You've been focusing on the actions, that act of adultery. I want to remind you that I look at attitudes, and, and that's at the core of everything that Jesus ever taught. It's just a reminder that our God, our God is an all-knowing God. And, and we like to claim that when we're going through a tough time and we, we, we rest on God's sovereignty. But I, but I wanna tell you, even when it comes to those sinful moments of our life, when we think we've hidden this from everybody, there is no secret before God. He knows it all. Jesus suggests an extreme response. If you do this thing that I said don't do, gouge out your eye. If you sin with your hand, with your body, cut off that part of the body. And, and frankly, throughout history, there are some followers of Christ who took this literally. There, there's one famous follower of Christ, his name was Origen, and he literally castrated himself because of this command of Jesus. And he later came back and said, I don't know if that was right. I don't know that that's what Jesus was getting at. And I'm I'm gonna suggest to you that this is a case where Jesus wasn't suggesting a literal action in that way. But Jesus was saying, this is so serious that you had better do some serious surgery because the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart and you've got a major heart issue if you're struggling in this area of your life. Jesus was reminding us that all of our choices are pathways. And those pathways lead to a destination. And a lifetime that's filled with ungodly choices will lead to an eternity, an eternal destination, void of God, without God. I wanna say that again because that's so important. Your choices are a pathway that lead to a destination. And a lifetime of ungodly choices can lead to an eternity without God. Your choices matter. You're not just making a decision in a moment. When you pick up that drink, when you take that pill, when you are involved in that sexual relationship that's ungodly, there are consequences beyond the moment. And those consequences, they do add up. And when those consequences add up throughout a lifetime, you're in risk of what Jesus called the fire of hell. In other words, what we do really is a reflection of who we are if we're in Christ things should look differently in our life so Jesus is raising the standard first he told us yeah murder is bad and angry anger is equally as bad then he says yes adultery is bad but lust is equally as bad now i'm going to dive into this big But before I do, some of you are already tuning me out for a variety of reasons, but let me address one of the reasons. Some of you are thinking, this is not my issue. So let me talk about what is lust. Because when we first hear that, we think about what it's most often used for, which is a sexual craving. But at its core, lust is more than that. Lust is an overwhelming desire that's guiding decisions in our life. There are longings that result in choices that we make. Someone has said, lust is a sinful longing. The inward sin, which leads to the falling away from God. Someone else said lust is the origin of sin because it has a place in our heart, not out of necessity, because it's the center of all moral faults and force and impulse of our spiritual activity. The Bible in another place says lusts in our life are these forces in our life that kind of drown out the word of God that he desires to be planted in our life. So as you think about this, if you're sitting there, whether perhaps as a lady, or perhaps as a person older in age, or perhaps as someone that feels like this is just not your battle, here's what I want you to think about. Contentment. And I want you to ask this question. Are you content with where you are and what you have in life, or are you constantly thinking about and longing for more? Because a Jesus life is a life of contentment, right? Ultimately, the bottom line, if you tune me out for the next 25 minutes, the bottom line is Jesus wants to be your source. Jesus wants to be your satisfaction. Jesus wants to be your contentment. And that's true at age eight or age 80. That's true if you're in a marriage relationship or if you're a single adult. That's true regardless of your upbringing or what's happened to you. Jesus wants you to find your contentment in him. So I want to ask you that question again. Are you content with with where you are? Are you content with, with what you have? Or are you constantly thinking about and longing for more. Now in this particular context, it's clear Jesus is talking about sexual attitudes, sexual actions. So let's talk about that for a second. This is fun because even among people like us, Christians, those who follow Christ, there have been a lot of different ways to look at this. Think about society today. Some people view sex as a God. In in fact, our media kind of presents it that way because it's everywhere. I mean, you realize that, right? It really is everywhere. If you you hang out here much, you know, I'm, I'm not a pastor that preaches against stuff all the time, but I want you to be aware, it's in our cartoons, it's in our advertisements, it's in our music, it's in the parking lot at Publix. I can't get out of my car without hearing another car's music blaring highly sexual, highly profane lyrics. It's everywhere. Things that when I were growing up, you could only see if, if maybe you went to the 7-Eleven and got that magazine that was hidden under the counter. Now, it, it takes about one second to find it on your iPhone or your laptop. It, it's everywhere. So you, you, you've got to ask, what, it, what am I going to do with this reality? Is it God? Is sex my God? Others, and man, the church has been guilty of this. Others have viewed sex as something that's gross. Something you can't talk about. And I didn't, I didn't grow up that way per se, but I grew up with the influences of that. And so like my parents... I mean, they're my heroes. They're the best ever. They never really talked to me about this and about God's design for this. In fact, I got a little book that just kind of handed me kind of guilty, the little book, and I began to look through it and it had pictures, but they were kind of stick pictures. They, they were not good pictures. And I remember I was ashamed of the book and that shame comes from the garden. Remember, because God created sex for what? He created sex for procreation. He, he created sex for recreation. I mean, this was to be fun. And I think it was fun because he created our great-grandparents. I know, you don't want to think about your great-grandparents this way. But he created our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply. And Adam said, whoa, man, this is good. And they began to enjoy that relationship, but it was because of sin that came after that lust for more, that lack of contentment. Sin entered the world, and then they began to cover up and they begin to feel ashamed of that very good thing, that gift that God had given. So part of this sinful attitude or sinful action comes from a lack of understanding of what God created in the sexual relationship, a purposeful, a fun part of life. But a part of life that has been profaned. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter six, do you not know wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Boy, aren't you thankful that when God looks at you as a child of God, he doesn't see you as a sum total of all of your sinful choices, but he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his son. Would you give God praise for that truth today? Remember, we're all broken. We're all messed up, but by God's grace, he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. But we don't just use that grace as an excuse. So Paul goes on to say, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Why? Do you not know your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. See, one of the best things you'll ever understand in life, a biggest spiritual principle that it just will cover every aspect of what you do, is when you realize I am not my own. I'm not the owner. That's what that word own means. I own me. No, you don't. You were created God for God's glory. And when you understand that, every decision makes a difference because you begin to understand that every decision puts you on a pathway and that pathway leads to a destination and that destination has forever consequences. That's every decision that you make. So Paul says, flee sexual immorality. That's a big statement. This same guy. He's going to tell us how to fight the devil in Ephesians chapter six. And some of you've learned that. You've learned about putting on the belt of truth and putting on the breastplate of righteousness and that helmet of salvation and those shoes of the gospel of peace. And you've got that sword of the spirit that you're holding in your hand and you're ready to fight the enemy. And here's the crazy thing. When it comes to fighting the enemy, the apostle Paul says, you stand firm in the face of the devil. If you're a child of God, that's what he says. Stand firm and fight. You've got this. Why? Because you're fighting a battle that's already been won. But he says, when it comes to sexual immorality, you better tuck tail and get out of there. You better pray and then run away. Why? Because your choices are a pathway to lead to a destination and a, a lifetime of ungodly choices lead to an eternity without God. You see, Scripture's consistent. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it costs you more than you want to pay. And if you don't know that old preacher phrase, let me just let you hear this preacher say, sin in my life, sinful choices. I can tell you about times it took me further than I wanted to go. I can tell you about times it kept me longer than I wanted to, to stay. And I can tell you about times it cost me more than I ever thought I would have to pay. Because that's what sin does. It has consequence in our life. Paul uses that word sexual immorality. I don't do this often because I I want you to understand when you look at scriptures in the English language or whatever language you're reading, you can can trust it, you can believe it as God's word. But sometimes it's interesting for us to hear a Greek word. So let me tell you that Greek word for sexual immorality. You ready? It's porneo. Sound familiar? Yeah, our word pornography is derived from that. Sexual immorality, and when the Bible talks about sex, sexual immorality, now listen, you, you might have authors or other preachers that tell you differently, but I, I just wanna give you what I understand from scripture. When the Bible uses that word porneo to describe sexual immorality, it's talking about any kind of sexual, immorate, sexual relationship outside of the relationship between one man and one woman in a covenant marriage. So that means Two people that are not in a covenant marriage, that are having a sexual relationship, even if they're young adults or college students or senior adults. By the way, did you know that the villages an hour and a half above us has the highest per capita sexually transmitted disease rate in the country? Yeah, this is an issue that goes on and on and on. You don't escape this in life. That's why we talk about it. So any sexual relationship outside of one man and one woman in a covenant... So the first example I gave you, the Bible has a name for that. Porneo, it's called fornication, sexual immorality. It means if you're married and you have a sexual relationship with someone other than your spouse, that's porneo, it's sexual immorality. The Bible calls that adultery. As you saw in this example, if you're a man and you have a relationship with a man, that's not one man and one woman in a covenant relationship, so that's porneo, that's sexual immorality, it's homosexuality. Same thing if you're a lady with a lady. And Jesus is raising the standard. He's saying an ungodly thought life in this same manner is sexual immorality. In other words, guys, this is a big deal. The same Jesus who died on the cross, the son of God who was born in a manger, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the one who stood before us and said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, watch out for this. Guard your heart. Because it's a big deal. Theologian D.A. Carson put it better than I ever could. He says, we're to deal drastically with sin. We must not pamper it, flirt with it, enjoy nibbling at a little bit of it around the edges. We're to hate it, to crush it, to dig it out. Sin leads to hell. And that's the ultimate reason it must be taken seriously. Men and women, boys and girls, I'm just going to tell you, even in the church, somehow we've allowed ourselves to tolerate sin. Jesus was reminding us that sin is serious business and it has some of the most serious implications and ramifications in life. And when you sin sexually, the consequences are extreme, so extreme measures must be taken to avoid sexual sin. Now, let me make it real personal. I know some of you are hearing this and you're thinking about how different your life would be if somebody else close to you had not treated sexuality differently than God intended. Your life's been changed because somebody didn't view sex God's way. Whether you're a survivor of abuse, of divorce, of abandonment, or whether that person's you, and your choices have changed your life. Begin to see why Jesus dealt with this so seriously, and why he takes it to another level and he deals specifically with lust. In this case, I believe Jesus is talking about when we look at another person in such a way that we're objectifying them, We're commodifying them, and we're seeing them not as an image bearer of God. The Bible says we're all created in God's image, we all bear God's image, but we're seeing them as an idol that we desire. Follow with me on this. An idol is any good thing that we make the best thing. And so whether it's on your phone or your laptop or however you view this, your television, or whether it's one of those romantic novels, ladies, when this becomes what fuels you, what drives you, you begin to objectify someone who is made in the image of Christ and that is lust. And the Bible says there's consequences for you and there's consequences for others. Let me speak about the consequences for you. And let me first acknowledge something that should be easily to understand. I'm coming at this from a man's perspective. And there's one reason for that. That's how God made me. <laughs> and I believe how God made you is kind of how God made you. You are either a man or a woman. And so for 54 years, I've been a man. So I see this through a man's prison. I, I, I recognize some of you are not men. So you're hearing this through a lady's prism. And, and I, I want you to know some of these principles are transferable, but There's some implications in here for you as well. But let me talk about this from a man's principle. We've got a lot of single men in the room, maybe a lot of college students or students in the room or or young men that'll grow up. And here's what I've heard often, pastor, I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to be involved in a physical relationship before I'm married, but this is an appetite God's given me. So I'm going to feed my appetite with pornography, right? Because that's a natural appetite. Well just think about what you're thinking. You're gonna eat at that buffet for however long and then you're gonna show up on your wedding day with a real live person and you think your appetite's already gonna change. We now know scientifically that's not how it works. Pornography changes the physiology in your brain. Your desires begin to change. You begin to want things differently. You begin to look at people differently. So really what you're saying is a real person's never gonna be enough for me. Because you've gotten used to that AI photo edited fake person you're looking at. You're also saying one person's not gonna be enough for me. Because again, this is a progressive sin, so it's just like any drug, any gateway drug, the more you have, you want more. That's why regularly in Central Florida, you hear about the bust of people that are, are getting arrested particularly in a county just to the uh, east of us because there's a sheriff that's taking this seriously. And and so they're going after people who meet up with alleged people. And and guess what they're finding? It all started with pornography. So you're you're saying, hey, a real person's not enough and one person's not enough and really you're gonna look in the eyes of that spouse and and you're saying you're not enough. There's all kind of consequences to this, guys. That's why Jesus was saying, take it seriously. But I want you to realize, there's also not a a victimless person in this process. Again, let me just speak as a man, because generally we're looking at at females that are involved in that pornography. And you just need, surely you know this. Not only is most of what you've seen, is it edited and kind of faked, but typically these are people that are not desiring to be there. It's what we call human trafficking. These young girls, these ladies are there against their will. They've they've been drugged by somebody or perhaps even held captive. You're a part of a church that has a ministry to those who are trafficked. And yet, pornography definitely supports that reality, it supports human trafficking. That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's future or current wife. That could be somebody's mama. And yet the porn industry generates more income than the combined revenues of ABC, NBC, and CBS. It's more income than the combined revenues of the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB. In the USA, the porn industry brings in between 15 billion and 97 billion a year. And this is a good time to look down, guys, because some have suggested, and I really believe this to be true, that at least 80% of men are actively participating in some form of pornography. By the way, that number is changing and increasing among women. It's changed drastically in the last several years, particularly among teenage girls. It's become accepted as the norm. As I said, we see it, we hear it in every aspect of our life. One third, that means one out of three times of every time someone goes on the internet. It's for the purpose of pornography. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's more than a picture. It's a pathway. Your choices are pathways that lead to a destination and a lifetime of ungodly choices can lead to an eternity without God. So if you'll allow me very quickly, I want to illustrate this from scripture. Certainly I could tell you stories about how Tampa Bay is on the international sexual tourism list because of our strip clubs and massage parlors. We're one of the highest areas of human trafficking in the world. I could give you stories about people whose lives have been influenced through this. I could tell you stories about marriages that have been ruined, but I don't have to tell you that because it's in this room, right? So let me just tell you what scripture says about this. Let me introduce you to Job. Biblical historians believe Job may be the oldest book in the Bible so he's one of the oldest characters in the Bible, and this is what Job begins with. He was the most righteous man walking the planet. We know that because Satan went to God and he said, "Hey, this guy Job, he's quite a character." God's like, "Yeah, I like him." And uh, Satan says, "Can I, can I test him?" God says, "Sure, just don't kill him." And so that's how we learn about the life of Job. He goes through all these tests; his life gets terrible, but he's a righteous man. So one of the oldest characters in scripture, one of the most righteous people to ever walk the earth, listen to what he says in Job thirty-one-one: I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. You know what that tells me? There's no escape from this. Guys, I don't care if you're 17 or 77. This is a reality in our lives. We had better be making a covenant with our eyes. David blew it. We know David blew it. He stood up at the top of the city of David on his roof. He looked down and he saw Bathsheba taking a bath and he wanted her and his lust led to action. So trying to help us in Psalms 119, he says, how can a young person stay, stay on the path of purity? And here's the answer by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. He's saying, you can't do this without the word of God. You better hide God's word in your heart. And then there's Solomon. And man, I'm going to fly through this. But I'm just telling you, there are three chapters in Solomon Proverbs chapter five, Proverbs chapter six, Proverbs chapter seven, where three different times Solomon says, Guys, hey, listen up. It's a big deal. Starts in chapter five. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight so that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulterous woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she's bitter as gall sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I'm saying. Keep to a path. You see, your choices are a pathway, and they have a destination. Keep to a path from her. Do not go to the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others, your dignity to one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth, and your toll and the to the house of another, at the end of your life, you'll groan when your flesh and body are spent. And Solomon is saying to every young man who would ever live after that, watch out, because this is a pathway that has all kind of consequences. You'll look up and your life will be bitter. There'll be another man raising your children. There'll be another man sleeping in, in your home. Be careful. He doesn't stop there. Verse 15 Again, this is God's word, not Paul's. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, should your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone. Never be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. What is he saying? If you're married, your spouse is your only God-honoring way for this sexual fulfillment to take place. Jesus is your ultimate source. We've said that. He's the only place you're going to find contentment. Even if you're married, your contentment can't simply be in a spouse, but your spouse is the only Jesus-honoring way. I'll never forget, Kimberly and I, man, we try to tell you regularly, We're, we're sinners. We've had... Great times in our 30 years of marriage. We've had some hard times. We we're walking through many years ago one of the tough times, and we're talking about my expectation that I'm supposed to step up to the plate and fulfill my marriage vows and all that that means as a man of God. And she said something to me that I'd never heard anyone else say that, man, just impacted me. And it's impacted our life, it's impacted our marriage, even to this day, 30 years later. She said, I recognize, of course I expected you to keep your vows to me. She said, I don't think I'd ever truly understood that I'm the only Christ-honoring way that you can fulfill those desires that God's put in your life. Now, men and ladies, let me just tell you, if you're married, that, that doesn't mean you ever act against either one of your partner's wills. We're one. We do this together. But it means in this area of your life, your spouse is to be that source. And your spouse is to be that standard of beauty. You know, after 30 years, we're a little different. I have less hair. White hair. (laughs) I got bumps in places I didn't have bumps and... Well, I'll just stop there. (laughs) But you know what? My wife is more beautiful to me today as a 50-something-year-old woman than she ever was. She's my good thing. She's my prime rib. I feast my delight in her. And that's the way it should be. He says, Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Verse 21, for your ways are in full view of the Lord. I think in this issue, one of the things that gets us is we feel like this is a secret sin. And I just need to remind you, there is no secret sin in your life. Proverbs 6, verse 20, he continues. Third time, he says, My son, keep your father's commands. But he goes down in verse 24. He says, this keeps you from your neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife prays on your very life. And then he says, I want you to hear this, verse 27. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? And every man in here, if I just ask you those two questions outside of this conversation, Context. Can you put fire in your lap and it not hurt? All of you would go, no, of course not. Now, if I were to say, can you walk on hot coals without it burning your feet? You'd say, of course not. But I'm telling you, I'm surrounded by guys And some of you ladies, you're flirting with this in a variety of ways, and you're bringing fire into your lap, and you've got coals under your feet, and you're hanging out with that person at office, or you're in this ungodly relationship, or you're looking at this stuff, and you're thinking, I can fight this off, and you're missing it, because you can't, remember? That's what Jesus taught us. You gotta have a righteousness greater than the Pharisees. You don't have that. So in chapter seven, again, he says, son, keep my words. This is the third chapter. He's telling them a third time. Verse five, he says, they'll keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman. And then the whole rest of that chapter, he gives us his picture. He says, I was standing up, looking out the window. And he describes a setting. He says, I saw a young man And then I saw a young lady on the street corner. And I saw him begin to walk toward her like an animal going into a trap, into a snare. And he didn't realize the precious life that was about to be lost. I just want you to see from Scripture this is a big deal. I wish I could say after hanging out with church people, it's different. No, It's not, it's a big deal. You know what the divorce rate is in the church? Same as it is out in society. You know what the divorce rate is among pastors? Same as it is out in society. In our country, at least one pastor a day will step out of ministry because of moral failure in their life. I'm sharing this with tears and with passion because Jesus said this is a big deal. And as Scripture winds down in the book of revelation and Jesus appears to John and he gives him these visions of heaven and he gives him these letters to send to the churches he talks about a church named Thyatira and I want you to hear what he says to the church at Thyatira he says hey to the angel that's the pastor the messenger at the church of Thyatira these are the words of the son of god who's the son of god So these are the words of Jesus whose eyes are blazing fire, his feet are are burnished bronze. That means he can see everything and he is everywhere and this is what he says. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service, your perseverance. You're now doing more than you did at first. And guys, as I kind of wrap this up, that's what I want you to hear. Most of you that are here, you're here. You're a Christ follower. You're here because you're trying to get this right. You're, you're trying to walk in the way of Jesus. There's a lot good going on. But he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. That's a whole nother message, isn't it? Don't name your daughter Jezebel. <laughs> Who calls herself a prophet, but by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. So in the last days, Jesus is speaking to these churches that represent churches today. And he says, hey, on the outside, you look good. There's a lot you're doing right. But there's this, and it's the same word, there's this porneo that's going on. And it's robbing you of the power that God intends you to have. And so what does he say? It's that famous biblical word. He says, repent. And so if this is hitting home and this is a struggle in your life, that's my desire for you today. Repent. Repent. That means just to acknowledge to God, hey, I'm blowing it in this area. I can't get this right without you. Here's our problem. We're doing some good things, but we've not applied the main thing. We're trying sin management. You know what sin management is? I'm gonna put covenant eyes on my phone. I'm gonna let somebody ask me. I'm gonna have accountability. Those are good things. But we always lose the battle of sin management. That's why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't do this in our own strength, guys. Ladies, we can't do this in our own strength. We need what only Jesus can give. So wage war. Yeah, wage war the Shema way. Wage war the great commandment way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Declare war against sin with all that you are and then stand in the victory of Jesus Christ. Because that's the pathway. And your choices, they're all going to be pathways. Pathways lead to a destination. And you have a decision to make. You can make a lifetime of bad choices that dishonor God and lead you in a direction opposite of Him. Or you can get in the path of Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. Hmm. the Holy Spirit needs to do some work in this area. Every time you hear God's word preached, taught, we call you to response. Let me give you three responses. Uh, Maybe you're here and you say, this isn't my area of struggle. And that's very possible. Uh, I've never been challenge with the use of cocaine that's not my struggle maybe this isn't where you struggle in sin and I would just ask you first ask that question about contentment and then if you're okay just pray because a lot of people in your church, a lot of people here struggle in this area okay secondly, some of you um, and this is an area of real struggle And I'm going to ask you in this service, in a moment, we're going to sing a song, and it's real simple. It's give me clean hands, give me a pure heart. Uh, I want to be a generation that that sees you, the God of Jacob. And and I'm just going to say, as we sing that, you know, you may feel led to do something publicly, but you may just there in your seat, as we sing those words, say, God, I want to once and for all acknowledge, I will not win this battle. You know, a lot of us, I just I just think some of you fighting this battle and you know everything I've said is true. But you but you're you're losing. And you just gotta tell them, I'm not gonna win this battle without you. But I trust in you, Jesus. I trust in the gospel to give me victory in this area of my life. Thirdly, somebody's here and you've never begun a relationship with Christ. Here's what I'm asking you. Just cry out to God right now. This is what the Bible says. If you call on the Lord, you can be saved. How do you call on the Lord? sounds like this. Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sin. I can't do this without you. Help me. So just tell him that. I'm going to pray. I'm not even going to stand you. We're just going to sing a little of this song. You Let the Spirit of God move you in your life, and then we'll close this service. Father, Give us clean hands. Give us a pure heart. We're tired of trying to do this our way and falling short, losing. Give us victory, Lord, in the name of Jesus, even now as we worship you.